Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. What a delight to be here on this special 70th birthday and anniversary. Wow, 70 years of ministry effectiveness. It's, it's incredible. And it's also incredible to know that at your 70th birthday, you're at the height of your effectiveness. Isn't that great? That's a testimony. That's a testimony to the faithfulness of God, uh, to the faithfulness of God's people. It's also a testimony to the faithfulness of outstanding leadership. And I know my little buddy, your pastor, is watching. Can we put our hands together for Pastor Chad and Pastor Rhonda? Just for the incredible spiritual guidance, direction, shepherding leadership that they give. Um, just proud, proud in the best sense of the way, uh, best sense that I can be. But uh, for those of you who are guests today and we're expecting Pastor Chad, uh, let me just say I'm sorry. Come back next week, would you? And um, it sort of reminds me, uh, I had the privilege of shepherding this flock for about seven years and then transition. And the first Sunday that I was not... Um, in the pulpit at Calvary, I was on ministry assignment in Lima, Ohio. The pastor had called. They were having a special service, but he had to be out of town and said, listen, can you come and preach? I want my people to get to know you, you to know them. I'll take care of everything. Just, just can, you, can you come? I said, sure, I will. Kind of reminded me of this week. And I'll never forget, I, I got to Lima about a half hour before service started and Boy, I was just, I was missing. I was missing Calvary. I was missing the pre-service prayer. I was, uh, but I walked in. I walked into that church's atrium and Sunday school was going on and I'm just standing there. And about that time, uh, one of the stakeholders of the church spotted me. Now, I knew he was a stakeholder of the church because he had a ring of keys right here, about 85 keys on the, probably every Sunday school supply closet. He came up to me. He said, hello, young man. How are you? I said, well, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? And he said, you must be a guest with us today. I thought I'm going to have a little fun with this. I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, this is my first time at First Assembly, and I'm so excited. He stopped me. He said, listen, listen, listen. He said, uh, our pastor had to be out of town unexpectedly this week. <clears throat> and we've got some new young buck bishop from our district office that's filling in for him. But if you come back next week, it'll be a great message, I promise you. I said, we'll do. Well, you should have seen his face when I was introduced as a guest minister that day. And... Uh, <laughs> It was a lot of fun. So to those of you who are expecting Pastor Chad, come back next week. It'll be a great message. I promise you. You know, I had the privilege of going out online and watching the service, uh, the last two services, but particularly last week that Pastor Chad spoke on in this whole um, series of celebrating these 70 years one of the things that Pastor Chad said last week is he wanted to talk about the church. He was quoting what Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'll build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and made this statement about all of the eternal lasting fruit as the result of a church. 
That struck me, and that's what motivated my preparation for my comments today on this special, special occasion. I love the church. You know, it's possible to be committed to the church, but not to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not the church. I love the church. Every major eternal impacting event in my life happened in the church. I was born again in the church. I was water baptized in the church, spirit baptized in the church, felt the call of God on my life in the church. Can I tell you, the church really is the hope of America. And today we're celebrating 70 years of Calvary's existence. 70 years of God's faithfulness from Facet Street to Oak Street to Glendale, Glendale, now here to Conant. 70 years. I can tell you when you're born again, you automatically are a part of the global church, the worldwide family of God. But when you join a local church, that's voluntary. And that's what many of you have done. We've all witnessed these last few years that the Church has kind of come under some criticism and some unfair expectations. Uh, you and I both know that when the church becomes nothing more than just an entertainment business, that biblical literacy is an early casualty. Far too often I've seen people leave a church with a smile on their face but still have a huge hole in their heart. So let me say right up front, I'm all in for the church and what it stands for. I'm all in for the church seeing life change take place in a water baptism. I'm all in for seeing what I saw in the first service where five individuals gave their heart to Jesus Christ for the very first time. That's what the church is all about. Church has kind of gone through an identity crisis. I mean, think about it. Some people try to put a corporate label on the church. Well, are you a mega church? Are you a purpose-driven church? Are you a community-minded church? Are you a classical Pentecostal church? Can I just tell you, the church was never intended to be a business with a cross on its roof, tweaked by a bunch of professionals. We are the body of Christ that God is using to expand his kingdom here on earth. The church has endured uh, critical comments should you respond? Should you not respond to cultural, political issues? The church has, has endured various expectations, particularly the last couple years. Should we take a stand, not take a stand? Should we get involved, not get involved? They need to be more doctrinal. We need to be more culturally relevant. All of that's crazy, but I remind you of the verse that Pastor Chad referenced last week. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, do me a favor. I want us, I want us to say these five words right here. Say it with me. I will, come on, say it again. I will build my church. The church is Jesus's idea. He's the architect. He's the originator. He protects it. He leads it. He guides it. Uh, he's the head of it. He has ownership and authority of his church. And that verse also reminds me that, you know what? The church is going to survive. It's going to survive. Gates of hell will not prevail. What's been the key to Calvary's effectiveness these 70 years? 
Well, I was here for the 50th anniversary, so I had a front row seat of celebrating 50 years, looking back, looking forward, maintained a friendship with Pastor Chad over these years. And, and as I've reflected on what has given Calvary its life-giving um, effectiveness these 70 years, became very apparent to me. Your commitment to the Bible your commitment to the Spirit, your commitment to reaching lost people, and your commitment to seeing the next generation experience the power of God. Throughout this church's history and currently, that's very apparent. And I want to unpack those thoughts for you today. You know, Calvary has been and currently is a church that places a higher priority on biblical teaching over political rhetoric. And aren't you thankful for that? Now listen, this church believes, you know from Calvary 101, if you've gone through that, that God's word is his perfect revelation to us, right? Paul said in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and it is useful for teaching. It's profitable for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. We know that God's word is his complete or his sufficient revelation to us. Jude chapter 3 says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled watch this, to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all. In other words, what that word is saying is there's no new divine inspiration. There's no new canonical inspiration. Everything you need to know about heaven, everything you need to know about hell, everything you need to know about life, everything you need to know about culture is found in God's word. It's not only a sufficient revelation, it's complete revelation, but I'm grateful today that God's word is a living revelation to us. Hebrews chapter four says this, the word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged or two-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and morals. It judges the thoughts and the motives and the attitudes of the heart. Here's what I've discovered, that when the Bible is used correctly, it's incredibly transformational. But when the Bible is used incorrectly, it can be horribly dangerous. And I am thankful that for 70 years, the Bible has had a primary place in the life of Calvary Church. I saw it firsthand. I remember um, during my era, I, we were on Glendale at the uh, building there, and uh, they had a marquee, and it was kind of popular in those days to come up with cute slogans or catchy phrases, so when people drive by, they see that, and, and I got to be honest with you, I kind of just got exhausted of trying to come up with some tricky phrase to put on the Bible marquee. And so I remember one time I said, let's just go about two months where all we do is put a scripture up there. Let's just put a scripture up there about the, the goodness of God or the greatness of God. And, and I'll never forget when we did that, two weeks later, a lady by the name of Kim showed up in the church. At the end of the message, she gave her heart to the Lord and I met with her after church. I said, Kim, what brought you to church? She says, you know, I drive by here. I work at the school right across the street. I drive by here. I'm always anxious to see what's on your marquee. But I noticed recently you've been putting scriptures 
And I didn't know the Bible said some of those things. So I decided I want to come in and I want to, I want to hear more about this. She came in, she got gloriously saved, she went through what you would know as Calvary 101, and at the end of that, that class, we always talk to people about what was it that brought you to faith in Christ, and what's keeping you here choosing this body to belong? Kim gave a testimony that she grew up in a mainline church, but never heard a gospel presentation had never heard that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin Mary, died a sinless life, took our sins upon himself on the cross, was rose again. She said, when I heard that, immediately I said, that's what I wanted. She was saved. And then she went on to say, she says, you know why I come to this church? Because every time somebody who's speaking uses a scripture, it's like a fresh shower to my soul. And I thought, that's the value of God's word. God didn't give us the word to make us smarter sinners. He gave us the Bible to change lives, to guide our lives, to lead our lives, to protect our emotions, to anchor our thoughts when we go through difficult times. And I can tell you in 21st century culture today, too many churches have lost their prophetic relevance because they've opted for political rhetoric. And may God help this church to constantly be offering to Toledo and beyond. This is what God's word says. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word remains eternal. The word. Calvary also has been a church and currently is a church where the Holy Spirit is understood as a person to be experienced, not a ghost to be feared or an it to be debated. is a person to be, aren't, aren't you thankful that the Holy Spirit's a person? He's the third member of the Trinity and our relationship with him is vital for Christian living. Now listen, I'm a third generation Pentecostal preacher's kid. I was born and raised in this thing, right up in Adrian, Michigan. I've seen a lot of things happen in the name of the Holy Spirit that, well, I'm not sure he really initiated them. Now as the leader of the largest Pentecostal movement in the world, I still see things that gets attributed to the Holy Spirit that I don't think really were caused by him. In fact, people send me things. Never forget a couple years ago, I got a video clip from a service in Houston, Texas. It was in December and the pastor was preaching about the real meaning of Christmas. The points of his message were Scrooge, Santa Claus or Savior? Who are you worshiping this Christmas? And I watched it, and man, when he got to the point of Santa Claus, he was just railing on him. He was talking about the ills and the secularization and, 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 and the demonic influence behind Santa Claus. And then he said, now, church, bow your head and close your eyes. And when there was a pause, there was a little lady that stood up at the back of the church. She said, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Lay off Santa Claus. He's a good man doing a good work. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you can attribute the Holy Spirit to that. But can I just unpack for you a few minutes about the person, the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person who can protect you from yourself 
and the wrong thinking that the enemy tries to trip you up with. He really can. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation. Say those words with me. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, watch this, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Those two words are free, no condemnation. You probably know people, I know people who, who get tripped up with things that God has forgiven them of. They get tripped up because they're, they're living with guilt, regret, I wish... But the Holy Spirit can protect you from the very things that the Lord has forgiven you of. Paul later goes on to write in verse 5, those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So one of the things the Holy Spirit can do is protect you from yourself and the wrong thinking that the enemy tries to trip you up with. You know what I've discovered in my own life? I can't defeat Satan in my own strength and with sheer willpower. I need the person of the Holy Spirit who will bring a perspective alignment for me when I need it. I suspect I, uh, I've had that happen occasionally, but in the most dramatic fashion, it happened my third day into being general superintendent. I'm the 13th general superintendent in our 107-year history, and I followed Dr. George Wood, who's got an earned PhD, and he's a, he's, a, he's a lawyer, and he's a master with his vocabulary. His writings will outlive him and this fellowship for years to come. But it was the third day that I was general superintendent, and there were some things happening culturally and politically, and and well, I just had a lot of people give me their advice on what I should be doing. I had some people say, you need to come out with a statement and rebuke this. Other people say, don't say anything. It'll be divisive. You should say that you shouldn't do this. And I thought to myself, WWGW, what would George Wood do in a time like this? You know, and, and I, should I say some, should I not say some? People I trusted were, were, were both sides of the equation. And I felt the weight of this responsibility. I'll never forget, I did something I don't necessarily um, subscribe to. I've never done it before. I probably will never do it since, but I was desperate. I was desperate. Uh, on my coffee table is the Bible that I received when I was ordained. So I grabbed that. I took it to my desk. I held it together. I said, Lord, I need a word from you. Some of you are laughing because you've done this. You just don't want to admit it. And I said, I, I'm going to ask you to show me what I should do. And when I say amen, I'm going to let go. And that Bible, you're going to reveal something to me. You're going to reveal something to me that will just revolutionize how I should make this decision. So, Lord, I claim that right now. And I said amen, and I let go, and my Bible flopped open. I looked down, and it was open to the book of Job. <laughs> Oh, well, God can speak through Job. So I took my finger and I plopped it down and I was real close to Job chapter three, verse 25 that says, that which I feared has come upon me and what I have dreaded most has happened. I said, Lord, that's not from you. <laughs> so I closed it up. <laughs> I thought, well, I can't do that trick. <laughs> so I'm desperate, right? I'm desperate. So I grab my phone, I go to Spotify, turn on some worship music. 
And I just spend some time praying. Praying with my understanding. Praying in the Spirit. And as I was praying in the Spirit, I, I grabbed my Bible. I opened my Bible, and this time I happened to open up to the book of Joshua. And I began to read verses like, Banish your fear and doubt and remember the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. For as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Can I tell you that the Holy Spirit can protect you from you when he is trying to use your own thoughts to trip you up? I'll tell you the other thing I've discovered is that the Holy Spirit initiates the miraculous in our life just at the right time. Aren't you thankful that we serve a right-on-time God? That Christmas is an annual reminder that God keeps his word and he's always on time. Boy, I couldn't help think about this. Um, the third year into our pastorate here, my wife, Gail, who's a registered nurse, got really ill. And this illness lasted for days and weeks and turned into months. She had some real scary symptoms. She'd pass out without any awareness. She was chronically fatigued. And we had two little girls at home. And this wasn't getting better. We tried everything. We tried diet. We tried vitamin. We tried all of this. We, we went neurology, cardiology. Nobody could seem to diagnose what's going on. I'll never forget one Thursday night in a board meeting. I said, guys, many of you know Gail and I, or Gail's been struggling with some sickness and it's kind of gone long term and just wondering, can we do something to organize some prayer for her? <laughs> like, like the godly board that this church has always known and had. They said, oh, pastor, we never thought you would ask. Some members of that board organized that for one week straight, starting on a Monday at 8 o'clock, through a Friday at 5, at the top of every hour for eight hours a day, somebody was going to come by and just do the James thing. Anoint with oil, pray the prayer of faith, and believe that the prayer that's offered in faith will heal the sick. I'll never forget on that Monday, there was a knock at the door. It was Marv and Barb Parrish. Hey, pastor, we're here to pray for Gail. Can we pray for her? They came in, prayed for her. That day, there was Ralph. Jeanette Vandervluck, Jerry and Daphne Van Diver, Jim and Linda Keller. Next day, there was Jim and Cheryl Odie. There was Dan and Lisa Vandervluck. There was different people that just came. They didn't want to sell me anything. They didn't want to do anything. Just anointing Gail with oil and praying the prayer of faith. Wednesday of that week, I noticed Gail uh, being a little stronger. In fact, she stayed up. Back Wednesday after the last group left, we had one of our favorite family staples that night. Hot dogs, macaroni and cheese, Dorito potato chips, and a Verner's float. I mean, things were looking up. God was bringing deliverance in our family. <laughs> Friday at 5, the last couple to come to the house was Bill and Janet Richmond. They were both in the educational field. Bill served on the board for years, was involved in ministry here. They knocked on the door. They came in and in a loving, caring way. Pastor, we love you. Gail, we love you. We're just here to pray with you. And they anointed Gail with oil and prayed the prayer of faith. And can I tell you, church, that was in the year 2000. 
Today, the year 2021, my wife has not had one reoccurring symptom of something that wiped her out for three and a half months. See, the Holy Spirit is not some idle spectator of the Trinity. He literally brings the presence of Jesus to you. And when you consider the history of Calvary, the story, the miraculous, God supernaturally intervening right in the right time, that's what gives the body of Christ, not just Calvary, but the body of Christ, effectiveness the Holy Spirit. Third thing, as you reflect on Calvary's history and look to its future, what part of the secret sauce of this church has been its missions participation. This church unapologetically is a missions participating church. You, you heard it last week. 70 years ago when this church was born by a handful of people, five families, they said, there are too many lost people in Toledo. We have too few churches. We want to do something about it. And Calvary was born. So I would submit to you that embedded in the ethos of this church is a desire to reach people for Jesus. And not just in the 419 area code, but this, this church has a desire to reach people around the world. And I can tell you that the motivation for missions participation of Calvary is not guilt and it's not denominational obligation, but it's a belief that Jesus died for everyone and that everyone has a right to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why you do missions. You see, just because the gospel has gone to every political country in the world doesn't mean that every people group has been reached. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Clay? Well, consider this. There are 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. An unreached people group is a community of people, 10,000 or more, that have less, watch this, than 2% Christian. And when you think that over 42% of the world's population live in those 7,000 unreached people groups. That's why this church is involved in missions. Because people everywhere need Jesus. And what this church knows is that when you participate in reaching people for Jesus, Jesus will meet your needs. When you participate with what's important to the heart of Jesus, he will meet your needs. Boy, I saw that within about the third and fourth month of my pastorate here. I, um, as Pastor Chad indicated, I came at a time in this church's history where there was uh, just, just some little unrest and some hiccups on the way, uh, just in the life of the church and um, Things were pretty frail financially. I remember about the first four or five months, uh, finance team would come in and I would see where we're at with cash and I would see what our bills are and we'd kind of prioritize, well, hey, we can hold this till the end of this month or we can prolong this or uh, we can do payroll but ask people not to deposit until it was, it was kind of that tight. 
This church was always committed to missions. They never once missed supporting their missionaries during that time. A couple months in, at a missions committee, one of the missionaries said, Pastor Clay, I think we just need to give an increase to all of our missionaries. And it kind of swept through and it got moved and passed. And I thought, great. I put on this great face, but inside I'm going, oh, my word. Oh, my word. Can we afford that? We did. Two months later, I received a letter from the district office from our district superintendent who I had worked for for seven years expressing a need that they had to, uh, for the camp facilities that they were building. It was a five-figure request that they asked for Toledo Calvary and wanted to know, could we respond within 60 days? Well, my heart of heart, I'm new here, and I thought, surely they know, they know the situation of, of Calvary. They know where we're at. I, I don't know what to do. And so I just kind of hung on to that letter. I came into a board meeting that, uh, that Thursday night. We went through the agenda. We were kind of celebrating some early wins. We were feeling some momentum, as, as little as it is. It was only about three months into it, but just sort of feeling good. And was all said and done, I said, guys, I, I, I just want to bring one more addition to the agenda for our board meeting. And, and um, well, here. And I photocopied the letter, and I passed it out to all of them. And then I just kind of looked down. Want I knew what that letter was requesting. And after about four minutes when nobody broke the silence, I kind of looked up and I said, uh, guys, what do you think we ought to do? And uh, in my heart, I was just hoping they would, why don't we take a love offering up at the first of the year, Pastor Clay, and we'll, we'll get some and we'll send it in because we want to participate. And There was a little discussion and, Finally, Dan Vanderluck says, well, I think we probably ought to pray about this before we decide. I said, okay, Dan, why don't you lead us in prayer? <laughs> he said, okay. So I bow my head, and he starts praying. He starts praying about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, how God has been faithful in this time. Then he starts praying, Lord, you own it all anyway. And I thought, oh, no, I know where this prayer's going. <laughs> You own the cattle on the thousand hills. He pray, you own the cattle on those. And, and, and I'm like, oh my goodness, where is he going with this? And, and so Lord, just help us to do the right thing in Jesus' name, amen. And again, I kind of stayed looking down and when I looked up, I said, what do you think we ought to do? Dan says, well, I think we ought to honor the full amount of this request. And I just swallowed hard. I knew where we were at financially. I knew what that would mean. The board members said, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. We put it to a vote. It was unanimous. As chairman of the board, I didn't vote that night because I don't know if my faith was there. And we did it. That was Thursday. The following Monday, Brenda from the finance office came in and said, Pastor, I know you're new. You're still getting your feet under you. And I just want you to know we've been in a balloon arrangement with our interest um, on the mortgage. Um, I've got an opportunity to refi. It won't cost us anything. In fact, Pastor, with our refinancing, if we'll go with this particular terms here, it will reduce our mortgage payment by $52,000 next year. Do you think we ought to do this? <laughs> And little did she realize that was the exact amount that the board had approved on that following Thursday. 
You see, the church that doesn't evangelize will fossilize. And so I am grateful that this church has had a commitment to the lost, even when it required great steps of faith. Because God will take care of our needs if we participate with him in things that are big to him, reaching people. That leads me to the fourth thought about Calvary. It's past, it's present, and as you look to the future, and that would be this. Thank you, Calvary, for being a church where you put a high priority on every generation experiencing the presence of God. Every generation. You know, it's possible that pre-COVID, a lot of churches got so busy in their activities that they got distracted from the one essential ingredient that makes the church a unique place in society, and that's worship. Corporate worship. Gordon Dahl says, most Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. And so as a result of that, their meanings, their values all sort of get distorted. But I would submit to you, and many of you know this, that one of the unique things about church and coming together and corporately worshiping and declaring you're a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, is that when you corporately worship, it gives you an opportunity to take a break from looking at life horizontally and considering life vertically. When you look at life horizontally, it's, it's cutthroat. It's full of a lot of human ambition and human achievement and, 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 and get this, get that, acquire that, deal with that. But when you take a break and you come into the presence of the Lord and you declare his goodness, whether you sing it, whether you speak it, whether you hear, there is something about taking a break from doing life horizontally and considering life from a vertical perspective. It's probably why the psalmist says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the mighty heavens. It's probably why the psalmist said, sing to the Lord a new song, praise him in the assembly of his faithful people. Can I tell you, I believe it's personally important to worship regularly in person. Number one, so that we don't forget who he is and all that he's done. Secondly, I think it's important that when we worship, we don't forget the power of God's word. The power of his God's word. There's an interesting scripture in Psalm 106. It's referring to the children of Israel and their journey from, uh, uh, from the land of bondage into the land of promise. And it talks about that they despised the pleasant land. They got to a place where they didn't believe the promise of God. Now, interestingly, the Lord was feeding the children of Israel every day supernaturally. He was leading them every day supernaturally, even with a miracle produced for them every day. Watch this. The Bible says they grumbled in their tents and didn't obey the Lord. Anybody know Christians who grumble? So he swore to them with an uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness, make their descendants fall among the nation, scatter them throughout the lands. Watch this. They yoked themselves to Baal, to the Baal of Peor. That was the God of the age. 
That was the ideology of the day. That was the philosophy. They yoked themselves to the philosophies of that day and they ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. I would submit to you that when we don't take time to regularly worship the Lord, we're susceptible to co-opting ourselves with the ideologies of the day rather than the theology of God. So why do we worship? Man, we worship so that we're reminded the greatness of God, we worship to remind that he's a God that keeps his word. And when we worship, when we worship in spirit and in truth, we're encouraged sometimes just to sing a little louder in the middle of our mystery. Has anybody experienced some mysteries the last couple years? You know, there's a popular, there's a popular worship song that says, I'll raise a hallelujah. And in that song, it talks about sing a little louder, sing a little louder. And one of the lines in that song says that, 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 that I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of my mystery. I experienced a mystery this last February. Super Bowl Sunday night, I got up halftime to go in and use the facilities. And when I got up, the right side of my body was totally numb. I couldn't feel anything. After I was transported to the emergency room, it was within a couple hours, they did a stroke right up that identified that I had a stroke of the medulla. A piece of plaque had broken off and went to the base of my brain. I thank the Lord that I did not have any speech or any occupational um, consequences, but I had some balance issues. I get it, and those of you family members of stroke victims or have gone through it yourself, you know it's, it's pretty scary. So I get it, I dodged a pretty severe bullet. But this balance, I kind of lost my balance. That was my therapy, that was my rehab. I went through six weeks of physical therapy and it got to April, April my ministry travel schedule was picking up. Part of my responsibilities are in the spring to go to district councils and be a part of ordination services. It's where young people are being ordained into the ministry, where the spiritual elders are laying hands on them and, and they get recognized for the call of God in their life. And I had not traveled or been in a pulpit ministry for about eight weeks and my first assignment was an ordination service. I was a little anxious. I didn't let anybody know. I'm kind of that typical, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. But I, I knew that I was a little unstable. Every now and then caught myself when I was walking. And so to be honest with you, I was kind of scared. In fact, that kind of scaredness turned into an internal panic attack. You ever been there? I'm driving to the airport and all of a sudden I start thinking, Lord, what happens if I have a relapse and I'm on the plane? Lord, what happens if I'm speaking and I, I, I go to step and I can't feel my... I just, I got wigged out. Should I call and cancel? Oh, I do that. You're going to look like you're weak. Hey, this is your year. You're voted out. Oh, all these thoughts, the enemy playing head games with me. So I just... Turned on the radio, I happened to be at The Message, 63 XFM, and there was a song from Elevation being sung, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. 
raise a holler. I know that song. I just kind of hummed along. And all of a sudden, it started saying, sing a little louder. Sing. And I did. I just started, sing a little louder. It said, sing a, I sing a little louder. And I'm just, I'm yelling at the top of the, I'll sing a little louder. I'm going to sing in the middle of my storm, in the middle of my mystery. I don't know how to theologically unpack this to you, but I can tell you in the cab of my truck, there was an unmistakable visitation of the Holy Spirit that just subsided my anxiety as I began to sing a little louder in the middle of my mystery. And that's one of the reasons why a worship team practices that we build worship into part of our corporate services because we want you to be reminded not only of who God is, but the power of his word. And we want the presence of the Lord to be brought to you in such a way that in the middle of your mystery, you can sing a little louder. And can I tell you, the next generation needs to understand that. That sometimes when you can't think your way, organize your way, politicize your way out of, when you're facing a reality, whether personally, corporately, nationally, sometimes it's good just to sing a little louder and let the presence of the Lord fill your heart. That's what we get to do in church. I love the church, even with all of our weaknesses and flaws and our identity crisis. I thought about this today. The church is a great place to raise a family. Church is a great place to get some good life counseling that's biblically centered. The church is a great place for kids to see godly examples. The church is a great place for friends to meet, connect, and do life together. The church is a great place where our public worship can be gathered together and often heavenward. The church is a great place for people's hunger for God to get satisfied. The church is a great place to invest your resources, knowing that they're going to be used for kingdom and eternal purposes. The church is a great place for people who are hurting to find love, help, acceptance. The church is a great place to get a hug of affirmation and maybe even a tear of understanding. And I promise you, you won't find that at Starbucks. You won't find that at Tony Paco's. You'll only find that in the church. So today, we celebrate the faithfulness of God of 70 years of this body placing a high priority on scripture. This body placing a high priority on the Holy Spirit. This body placing a high priority on reaching people. And this body placing a high priority on the next generation, discovering and knowing the presence of God in a very personal way. Church, I love it. Congratulations on 70 years of ministry effectiveness. Hey, let's pray. God, I thank you today for Calvary, for what it has meant in my life and the people, the actual people, because that's what the church is. Church isn't the institution. The church is the company of the redeemed. It's people. And people, even in this service today, who've had an incredible impact on my life. I also know, Lord, that it's the church that you're using as the primary instrument to advance your kingdom here on earth. 
So today, Lord, I pray for those who might be watching online in Auditorium 2 or here in person. If there's someone, Lord, today who has never come to that place in their spiritual life where they know for certain if they were to die, they'd spend eternity with you. then God, I pray today they would put the icing on the cake on a 70th anniversary celebration by saying yes to you. I'm going to ask you if you're here in person, just would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed? If you're watching online, don't toggle away. Would you, would you lean into this moment? If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Clay, would you include me in your final prayer? I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, you know some of the songs we sing, you know the people, you have relatives who are on staff, but if you're honest, you would say, I don't live with that full assurance that if I were to die, I'd spend eternity in heaven. And I tell you, I can't imagine going through life in today's times without that assurance that you belong to him and he belongs to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come forward. But if you are here today and you'd say, hey, Doug Clay, would you include me in your final prayer? I want to establish a know that I know that I know that I know type relationship with Jesus. Then I want to include you in my final prayer. So while everybody's heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, if I can include you in my final prayer, would you just raise your hand and look at me? I want to do that today. I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Yep, thanks, several. Thank you. Someone else should say, Pastor Clay, please, if you're watching online, just shoot a thumbs up emoji or something so we know to include you in our prayer. You know, accepting Christ doesn't mean you have to join a church, but it does give you the privilege of being a part of the family of God. It does give you the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, come into your life and guide you and direct you. Someone else joined these adults who said, Doug Clay, would you include me in your prayer? I want to make sure. Cool, by that, I, here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And I simply would ask you, Calvary, to join me in prayer, believing that these who today want to accept Christ will do so in this prayer. So Calvary, all over this place, and even if you're watching online, I'd like you to pray out loud with me. Repeat with me this prayer. Lord Jesus. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came from heaven to earth to die for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life and establish yourself as my Savior and my Lord. So with my mouth I confess, in my heart I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I accept your free gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. Yeah, let's put our hands together. That's a great place to celebrate. Can I just suggest that if you prayed that prayer, you meant that prayer, as you walk out of here today, you'll find in different containers or at the uh, New Here Center, um, a decision card. 
I know one of the high values of this church, and you do too, from the four quadrants. You know one of the values of this church is to help you discover all that God has for you. People are our priority at this church. We want you to grow in your faith. We want you to celebrate all that God has for you. So um, thank you. Thank you so much. Would you do me a favor? Give yourself a hand for 70 years of ministry faithfulness. Sing it with us before we leave. Sing, move and move the immovable and break the unbreakable. And God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle.